James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Every good thing in our life is ultimately a gift from God. Now, someone might argue that it is their own hard work that puts the food on their table and pays the rent. But who gave us the determination and the self-discipline to work? Who gave us the job? Who gave us the opportunities to get the job? Who gave us a healthy body to do things with? Who gave us a mind to think with? Who gave us the air we're breathing? No matter what it is, we can trace every good thing in our life to the good hand of the Lord. Every good and perfect gift is from above. We give thanks to the Lord for every good thing in our life. The title for the teaching this morning is An Open Letter to the World. Open letters have become a thing in our culture. People, they will write a letter, an open letter, they'll call it, and have it published for others to read. Well, we're going to look at an open letter from King Nebuchadnezzar today. And this is back before open letters were a thing. So he's kind of an innovator maybe in that particular regard. So flip over to Daniel chapter 4, the book of Daniel chapter 4. That's where we'll be this morning. By way of review, in Daniel chapter 1, we were introduced to four young Jewish men from the city of Jerusalem who had been taken captive and taken away from their homeland to the foreign land of the Babylonians. These four young men are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You might remember that they were given the Babylonian names of Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were some of the best and the brightest of the former nation of Judah. And because of that, they found themselves entered into King Nebuchadnezzar's special training academy to be educated in all of the ways of Babylon with the intention of becoming advisors, counselors, diplomats in the king's service of Babylon. The Lord had his hand on these four young men and he blessed their commitment to him. They graduated at the top of their class and they were entered into the king's service. Then in Daniel chapter 2, it tells the story of a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar was having, which troubled him a great deal. He knew the dream had a very important meaning, but none of his experts and advisors in such things were able to tell him the meaning of the dream. But the Lord gave the young man Daniel the ability to know and to interpret the Lord's, I mean, the, 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 he gave let me try that again. But the Lord gave the young man, Daniel, the ability to know and interpret the king's dream. And in turn, the king then honored Daniel by making him a ruler over the entire province of Babylon. And he gave promotions to Daniel's three friends to high administrative positions in the Babylonian government. This also began a special lifelong relationship of trust between Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, which will actually factor into the story even today. Then in Daniel chapter 3, the story is told of Daniel's three friends facing the choice of bowing down before a great gold statue constructed by Nebuchadnezzar or being thrown into a fiery furnace and burned up. 
Well, they chose to remain faithful to the Lord their God and not bow to this statue, even if it meant being burned alive in this huge furnace. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, filled with rage over the refusal to bend to his will and his statue, he ordered that they be thrown into the fiery furnace. But to his astonishment, they weren't burned or harmed in any way at all in the fiery furnace. Not only that, but as Nebuchadnezzar peered into the furnace, he saw not three men, but four. And the fourth man looked like a son of the gods. He called the three to come out of the furnace, and then he acknowledged the greatness of their God and gave all three of them yet another promotion in his government. That brings us to Daniel chapter 4. And Daniel chapter 4 is actually one of the most intriguing passages in the Bible because it is a personal letter from Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonian Empire, to the whole world in which he recounts a series of life-changing events that took place in his life. Some believe Nebuchadnezzar actually became a true believer in the God Yahweh through these events. And if so, one can view this letter as Nebuchadnezzar's personal testimony of coming to faith in the Lord. Interesting. We'll flip over to Daniel chapter 4. Historians generally believe there's probably about a 30-year time gap between the events that took place in Daniel chapter 3 and the events that are described here in Daniel chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. This entire chapter comprises an official document issued by King Nebuchadnezzar himself addressed to the whole world to the nations and the peoples of every language who live in all the earth, it says here. He has a story to tell about what has taken place in his life, which he believes is of such importance that the whole world needs to know about it. This is a letter from the most powerful man in the ancient world of the time addressed to the entire world. So just kind of put your head in that mindset for a moment. Nebuchadnezzar, he begins his letter by pronouncing a blessing on all who read the letter. This doesn't sound like the same guy that we have been dealing with in the first three chapters of Daniel. This man's attitude is different. He has been profoundly changed at the deepest part of his being. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar wants to tell the whole world about, how he was changed and who is responsible for that change in his life. After he speaks a blessing on everyone, he opens with the words of verses 2 and 3, which is a proclamation of the goodness and the greatness of the Lord. One last thing to note before we get into the actual letter. Nebuchadnezzar uses a title for God which is worth pointing out. It's the title Most High. This title is used more often as a title for God in this chapter than in any other place in the Bible. When we get to the end of the story, we'll better understand why Nebuchadnezzar uses this title so much when referring to God. But briefly, through the events of this story, Nebuchadnezzar will come to understand that God is indeed the Most High and He Himself is not. 
What an important lesson that is for every human being to learn. That he, the Lord, is the most high and we are not. Contrary to what some might think, it brings tremendous peace to our life when we realize that we are not the center of the universe. And we really don't carry the responsibility of the world on our shoulders. I was watching an episode of The Dog Whisperer a number of years ago, which featured this mean little dog that was terrorizing its human family. It was a chihuahua. It always is. It was snapping at everyone. It was hyperactive, running around like it was insane. It was making the lives of all of the people in the house miserable. And Caesar, he came in and he immediately diagnosed the problem, as he always does. This little dog was trying to be the leader of the pack, but it wasn't supposed to be the leader of the pack. When the people, they started to take the place of authority in this dog's life, the effect on the dog's demeanor was profound. The dog was peaceful. It was obvious that the dog liked having a leader, protecting it, providing for it, loving it, giving it direction, setting boundaries for it. And the same is true for us. When we settle into a place of submission and dependency on the Lord as our leader, as our most high Peace is the result in our life. Unfortunately, learning who is the most high is not always a lesson that is easily learned. Sometimes it takes going through a very painful, humil humiliating experience of some kind, like what we will see happening in Nebuchadnezzar's story. In verse 4, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. It says he was at home in his palace, contented and prosperous. Nebuchadnezzar had spent the early years of his reign in military conquest, establishing Babylon as a world empire. In his latter years, he busied himself making the city of Babylon one of the most beautiful places in the world, fortifying the kingdom, developing its culture, creating and establishing Babylon as the world leader in all things. Nebuchadnezzar is now at the pinnacle of his career. And one night, he has a dream that terrifies him. It says it made him afraid. This is a very strong word in the original language. This dream, it didn't just bother him and make him feel uneasy. It terrified him. It freaked him out. It genuinely scared him. Well, why did this dream scare Nebuchadnezzar so much? Because he had a bad feeling about it. He was afraid the dream was about him. And it was not a good dream. Six, so I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. So just like in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, he calls in all of the wise men and the experts of various categories and types to interpret his dream for him. And just like in Daniel chapter 2, they have no idea what the dream means. So verse 8, 
says, finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He's called Belteshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is, is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. He calls him the chief of the magicians. Now, this word translated magicians throughout the book of Daniel, it doesn't refer to someone who does magic tricks. That's not what a magician was. It refers to people who are considered wise men, scholars, scientists, prophets, seers, philosophers. And he's saying that Daniel is the best of them all. I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Now, before you lose your mind, Nebuchadnezzar is not trying to teach us theology here. He's a pagan king. He doesn't know any better. He's saying that he recognizes that Daniel is the real deal. He knows the true God. The true God knows him. His words are true. He gets his information from the true God. This is basically what he's saying. Daniel has become Nebuchadnezzar's most trusted and respected advisor. Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel have become friends over the years. They have a relationship that is deeper than merely professional. As the story in this letter unfolds, it becomes apparent that Nebuchadnezzar has a deep respect for Daniel. And at the same time, Daniel has a great respect and care for Nebuchadnezzar. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. So now he begins to describe his dream. He says, I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top reached the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. This part of the dream is great. This grand world tree is described that dominates his dream, and it feeds and it provides shelter for every creature on the earth. But in verse 13, it says, In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground in the grass of the field. It says a holy one, a messenger or a watcher is another meaning of the words here, comes down from heaven and this heavenly being who keeps watch over the activities of the affairs of human beings pronounces this judgment to strip the tree cut it down and then strip it of its glory, leaving nothing but a stump bound with shackles of iron and bronze. Nebuchadnezzar's life has been being watched. And now this messenger, this watcher, is sent from the Lord to deliver this message of warning to the king. How often do we consider that our lives are being watched? We're being watched. There's nothing we do or say that escapes the all-seeing eye of the Lord. 
And we see that playing out here in Nebuchadnezzar's life. It says, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. Notice how the reference changes from talking about a tree to talking about a man. Let him be drenched. No wonder Nebuchadnezzar is terrified by the dream. It wouldn't be hard to connect the dots enough to know that this tree is symbolic of a person and the obvious person that it is representing is Nebuchadnezzar himself. So in 17, it says, The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. He sets over them the lowliest of people. It's a direct slap in the face of the pride of Nebuchadnezzar. The Most High God puts the lowliest of people in the highest places of power sometimes, doesn't he? And it's easy for us to reflect back on some of the leaders that we have over us and think, eh, there's certainly some of the lowliest of people. <laughs> this is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men of my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. He's confident that Daniel will be able to explain the meaning of the dream to him. And so 19, it says, Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Well, that doesn't sound good. See, when the Lord reveals the meaning of the dream to Daniel, he's very disturbed by it because it's very bad news for the king. And Daniel, he struggles with how he's going to tell the king what this dream means. He doesn't want to tell him what the dream's meaning is. He tells the king that he wishes that the dream applied to the king's enemies rather than to the king himself. And so 20, he says, The tree you saw which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food to all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your Majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation your majesty. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. 
You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree in its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. These iron and bronze bindings on the stump, they represent a mental illness that will hold Nebuchadnezzar captive. He will think he's an animal, eating grass, sleeping outside like an animal, letting his hair and his nails go unkempt. The stump being left in the field means that the kingdom will eventually be restored to Nebuchadnezzar after this period of time has passed. But Nebuchadnezzar needs to learn his lesson first before that happens. It says seven times will pass by. And this is generally understood to mean that Nebuchadnezzar will suffer in this humiliating state for seven years before he will finally be broken enough to acknowledge the Lord's sovereignty over his life. So in verse 7, 27, it says, Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Daniel says, renounce your sins, or it literally says, break off your sins. It provides a vivid description of what Daniel is urging the king to do before it's too late. He pleads with the king to repent of his sins, to change his ways, to make a dramatic course change in his life before this awful thing happens. He says, it might be that if you will repent that this awful fate may be spared you. Well, in verse 28, it says, All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Nebuchadnezzar's city of Babylon, was one of the most beautiful and impressive cities of the ancient world. The historian Herodotus said that the 40 feet high walls of the city of Babylon were 80 feet thick, with enough room on the top of the walls to turn a four-horse chariot around. One of the crowning achievements of Nebuchadnezzar was the famous Hanging Gardens of Babylon, listed as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The famous Ishtar Gate, the entrance to the city of Babylon, also listed as a wonder of the ancient world, was also built during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's city of Babylon was legendary and world-renowned. And as Nebuchadnezzar he looks out over this amazing city. His pride and his arrogance reach a new height. And he proclaims, I am the man, basically. There is no one greater than me. 
My splendor is unequaled. I am a God among men. And the judgment of God, foretold in that dream a year earlier, suddenly falls on him. 31 says, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he pleases. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven that said, All is taken from you. And rather than you being a man, you will now be like an animal until you acknowledge the Most High is over all. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people, and he ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. He probably didn't literally sprout feathers, as some have stated. This is more likely a description of his matted hair and uncut fingernails as he lived like an animal, not bathing or caring for himself. Says his body was drenched with the dew of heaven. It's most likely a description of him living outside in the elements. There is a rare form of mental illness called clinical lycanthropy in which the affected person thinks they are an animal. Some have speculated that this may be what has afflicted Nebuchadnezzar. We don't know. Uh, It was some special kind of mental illness that bound him that he was warned about and now has happened to him because of his pride and arrogance. 34, it says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, remember he's writing this letter and he's recounting these events and now he is speaking in the letter again. He says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of the heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. His sanity is restored to him when he finally acknowledges who is the Most High. We're all living in a delusional state of being until we lift our eyes to heaven and humble ourselves before God and acknowledge Him as Lord over all. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were, were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. So just like God had promised, Nebuchadnezzar's kingship is given back to him. And then 37, it says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar's own personal encounter with the living God who brought him to his knees in order to save him gives him praise. He has gone through a tremendous suffering, experiencing great pain, losing everything in his life. And now after going through it, what does he do? He praises the Lord. And that praise is not because he got everything back that he lost. He praises him for what he gained through the experience. Think about that. He was humbled and reminded who he really is and who God really is. He understands that what God did to him was not intended to harm him, but to save him. What he's gone through has resulted in an immeasurable good in his life. This is one of the results that suffering is intended to have in our life too. 1 Peter 5.10, for example, says, The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Nebuchadnezzar's journey. He had serious doubts about the abilities of his own religious, uh, uh, religion, wise men and experts and priests in Daniel chapter 2. You, you will remember the story. He, he refused to tell them the dream that he had because he suspected that they would just make something up to explain the meaning of the dream. So not only did he want them to give him the meaning of the dream, but he said, you have to tell me what the dream was first, because he didn't trust them. He encountered the true and the living God when the young man, Daniel, was able to tell him his dream and its meaning. He encountered this same God again in Daniel chapter 3 when he tried to kill Daniel's three friends by throwing them into that giant furnace. But to his own amazement, they were unharmed by the flames. And he knew it was their God who had protected them. He even saw a fourth person with them in the furnace who looked like a son of the gods. And now, some 30 years after that event, when he has grown very proud and is very full of himself, he encounters this same God again. This time, Nebuchadnezzar is humbled by God in order to save him from his own foolish pride. Hosea 6.1 says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. The Lord can do a similar thing with us sometimes. 
He breaks us in order to heal us. He knocks us down in order to lift us up. He humbles us in order to save us from ourself. And we can give him thanks, even in the breaking and the humbling, knowing that he is doing good in our life through all of it. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for uh, the personal testimony of Nebuchadnezzar and the good that you did in his life, even through the humbling and the breaking that you saved him from himself in all of that. Lord, help us to trust you in all things in our life, through everything we're going through, knowing that in all things you have your good intentions for us and we can trust you in all things, Lord. I ask that you would bless us Increase our faith and our confidence in you, Lord, today. May we be humble people before you, acknowledging you as the most high in our life. And find peace in that. That we are yours and you are protecting and providing, caring for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.